all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello, you are listening to Very Bad Things. All bad things. All bad things, not very bad things. You are listening to All Bad Things. This is a podcast about Tragedy. tragedies, disasters, bad stuff, bad things. Just all bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? So you're not a millennial. No, I'm not. Yeah. So a <laughs> trigger warning is to say if you have a, like something that you're specifically sensitive about that could cause very unpleasant feelings. Of course, the millennials would have their own term for that. Yes. Well, the Gen Xers had grunge and weed and we have things that are way less warnings. way less cooler. <laughs> <laughs> We still have weed, it's just legal, so it's not as interesting no, anymore. it's not nearly as cool. So, uh, specifically, this, our inaugural episode, um, we'll be dealing with fire and in a, being in a very, constant uh, in it. In a very uh, confined space. In a confined space, yes. Which so. is two things you don't want to be a part of. No, no. A confined space, it depends on who you're with. But the fire <laughs> in the confined space. Yeah, that's never that's, good. That's just no, that, yeah. No good circumstance for that. But um, but yeah, basically, if you're depressed or have some heavy triggers for certain things, first of all, you shouldn't be downloading a podcast called All Bad Things. There are much nicer things yeah. for you to go listen to. Uh, yeah. So basically, don't listen to The Cure. Or or, or any number of bands. Don't listen to Great White either, but there are other reasons for that, which we'll yeah, there to. there are very good reasons for that coming up. Mm-hmm. So today's topic, boys and girls, is the Station Nightclub Fire. And this took place when? Um, on Thursday, February twentieth, two thousand three. Yes. So fourteen. 14 years Fourteen years ago, over just over fourteen mm-hmm. years ago. That is crazy. That two thousand three was fourteen years ago. Yes. Yes, it is. I remember this. This is probably... I do, too. Yeah, we were both clearly old. I was uh, working for Clear Channel at the time, so it was a pretty big deal. I was teaching piano and violin. I was... uh, Well, no, I was... Yeah, I was. I was 17. No, 18. I was 18. And you were older than 18. I was. Yeah. I was 26. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes. Just turned 26, by the way. My my birthday is January 16th. Yeah. Um, So it happened just after 11 o'clock at night on Thursday, February 20th, 2003. This was the station... That's okay. Go on. That's the cat in the litter box. We have two cats. So anyway. um, And the litter box also happens to be in our studio. In our our, uh, state-of-the-art recording studio. So so what does that say about our studio? (laughs) It's a shit box. It is, literally. All right. And there's two of them. Yes, there are two litter boxes. Anyway, so the Station Nightclub was in West Warwick, Rhode Island. Rhode Island. It's about 13 miles outside of Providence, to put it in perspective a little bit. So it was a fire caused by pyrotechnics during a show by the band Great White. And sort of for the stats on why this was a bad thing. 
other than the fact there was a fire that burned down a building. Um, 100 people died in the fire. Exactly 100. Exactly 100. 230 were injured and 132 were uninjured, physically at least. So in spite of 100 people dying, it is only the fourth deadliest nightclub fire in U.S. history. Top five. That's important. (laughs) That would suck if 100 people died and you were only the seventh worst nightclub disaster. Would it be better to have died in the one of the top five nightclub fires? Probably. I think Coconut Grove would have been a good one. A good one to die yes, in. Yes, absolutely. It's good to That's die. the most famous one, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Rather die in a famous fire? Yeah, I mean, why not? Okay. I don't want to die in a fire at all. That'd probably be the worst well, no. way to go. But, you know... If... I've always thought, well, drowning, they say, is really unpleasant. Yeah. And, I've um... come close to that before, but it's never happened. So here's a little background on the Station Nightclub. So the owners, it was owned by two brothers, Jeff and Michael Derdarian. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, the building was pretty small. It was um, a little under 4,500 square feet. Had no sprinkler system. So this is, it turned out to be a little bit of a key thing. Um, Later on. Yeah. So, but here's also something interesting. It wasn't a violation of any fire code that they didn't have a sprinkler system. They were not required to. Um, the building was of an age where it was not required to be retrofitted with sprinklers. Um, so that was actually not a point of negligence. There were plenty of other points of negligence that we'll get to, yes. but that was not one of them. The National Fire Protection uh, Association, I think is who it was. I could have gotten that wrong, but... Um, said that the sprinkler... Anyway, they reviewed the fire and said that sprinkler system would have slowed down the fire enough right. to have let a lot of people escape. It wouldn't and have that's, prevented that's it. What a lot of people don't realize is that's essentially what a sprinkler system is for. Just kind of give, you, give you some time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not to put out a fire, otherwise nobody mm-hmm. would call the fire department. Mm-hmm. A couple other things to note. Um, there was no easy access to fire extinguishers. There were fire extinguishers, from what I gathered, from what I read, um, at the nightclub, but they weren't just, like, hanging on the wall easy, you know, like the little break-in things and all that, which, again, could have bought some time. Yeah, in in general, extinguishers of that big of a fire are not meant to put out the fire. Yeah, but looking back, if if you see the video... By the way, you can see this on YouTube. The The video uh, of the actual fire, Yes, and as we'll get into... How quickly this thing spread yeah. in such a small pace, small place with that many people. It, it's crazy watching it. It's imagine yourself right now, and then three minutes from this very moment right now, uh, everything around you is on fire. Like and, that's that's how quickly it happened. And five minutes from now, the bur- the building that you're in is completely is burned. Co- to yes, the ground. to the ground. Yeah, yeah. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. So so that was another thing. There were no easily accessible fire extinguishers and the official capacity was 404 they were almost 60 over capacity for the building yes so all right so that's the nightclub now the band performing was great white um formed in 1977 much like you you were formed in 1977 uh, i I believe i was formed in 1976 you were formed in 1977 i debuted in 1977 yes you did okay so I didn't know much about Great White, not that into hair metal. Is that what they would be considered? Yeah, they would, okay. yeah. Um, but they That's when they had their only hit, yeah. was during that era. Um, their biggest hit was Once Bitten, Twice Shy, and um, they kind of suck. 
Uh, yeah, they're not very good. And here's the funny thing about the song Once Bitten, Twice Shy. Uh-huh. I, I'm going to say for all you great white fans out there, so if I if I get this wrong. Well, uh, I, and I apologize for offending you yes. saying that they sucked, but... I believe, I believe on previous albums they had songs called... Uh, they had a song called Once Bitten. Jesse, stop had, that. And they had another song called Twice Shy. And, I think and then they, they made a song called Once, Once Bitten, Bitten, Twice, Twice Shy. Shy. I'm pretty sure that's, that's accurate. But I'm not going to bother looking it up because who gives a shit? <laughs> it's great white. Great white. <laughs> that, that, that's my uh, 12-year-old hair metal knowledge mm. right there for you. Well, from my, my musical opinion is that they sound like a poor man's poison or Motley Crue. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Anemic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, not terribly inventive. No. Not great at rhyming either. No. So, yeah, it's kind of sad that all these people died going to see this terrible band. I mean, and, and no disrespect to the people who died who probably didn't think they were a terrible band or they wouldn't have been there. No. So, I feel know. I feel sorry for the people who were there. Uh, the spouses drive like, like maybe it's great oh, white because you know that you know that happened to at least one yeah. couple at le- very least one like I didn't want to fucking be here anyway and now I'm dead <laughs> well it probably would be more on the survivor the surviving spouse <laughs> yeah they don't probably bring that up either yeah no yeah <laughs> um so they had great white had actually just started playing yes this Apparently, was the, literally the first song they Desert, o- opening desert moon the opening licks if of you will desert moon yes so here's another thing that's awful just absolutely awful so i have a mild obsession with like last words and last songs i have a feeling i know what you're about to say because i because i read up on this too so yeah they had just started desert moon which is a terrible song i, I it's a good name for a song oh, if you're sting yeah you're right yeah, or if a, you're high. Well, yeah, well, I I didn't even think it was. It doesn't even sound like a hair metal song. I was thinking like, oh, maybe that's their like version of Every Rose no, Has it's, Its Thorn. No, it sounds like it should be a song by Cinderella, but that's a different hair metal band. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll that's entirely different. Um, at every point, someone will hear their last song. Yeah. And like, what's the last song you're ever gonna hear? And for a hundred people, it was Desert, it was Desert Moon. Moon. Like the, the intro But they didn't, at least, happen. well, to spare them, they didn't hear the whole thing. They literally heard about 10 seconds. True, of it. yeah, yeah. It, w- it was not much at all. Let's get into the events of the fire itself. Yes. How, how so, did the fire get started? Pyrotechnics. Well, because pyrotechnics, let's do an air quotation. No, 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 no. Well, These were legit pyrotechnics. No, these are actual legit pyrotechnics. I know, but just watching the video, I'm like, eh. Well, no, here's the problem. First of all, setting up, setting off pyrotechnics... In a club? Yeah. It's is just, an awful idea. Setting off pyrotechnics inside. I don't give a shit if you're at a 19,000 capacity arena. Well, they do that all the time. Yes, I know. And you know where that smoke goes? <laughs> to the, to the, to the top. top. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's crazy. It suffocates people up there. It's crazy, too, because, you know, I used to go to Miami Heat games with my dad, and they would always do the big pyrotechnic, because it's Miami Heat, mm-hmm. you know, and they put yeah. these huge flames, and it was down on the floor. And even when we had nosebleed seats, you could feel it felt like a, a whoosh of hot air. Oh, yeah. And we were so far away. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah I can no, only imagine how the players feel running through that. Right, <laughs> right. So, but here's here's the thing. Okay, so first off, the person who actually set off these pyrotechnics was Daniel Bicolay, um, Great White's tour manager. He was 26 years old. Yes, he was a kid. So they were they were actual pyrotechnics. They were called gerbs. Yes, and um, they were 15 by 15s. Do you know what that means? Uh, circumference radius diameter that would be a good guess but it actually has to do with how many feet they were designed to shoot up for how many seconds oh 15 feet for 15 (laughs) seconds and and, and again i i encourage not encourage people to watch the video but just to kind of get a sense the first time we saw it that i didn't even know a video of this even existed until last week The first time I saw, I could get through about the first three minutes, and I was like, okay. It, got, it gets intense It gets fast. intense pretty quick. Um, literally, he's setting off these, these pyrotechnics in a space that's giving him five feet, it, seven feet. It does, and I could be wrong, and I didn't read this anywhere, like exactly the height of the ceiling. I'm guessing it was more than like a house or something. Well, in the, in the video. But it does not look like a high ceiling. In the video, you can see like when the band first comes on stage, their uh-huh. heads are pretty close to the ceiling. Yeah. Because they're on, like, a, a little stage. Foot, yeah, yeah, stage, yeah. And, yeah, they're, yeah. So I, maybe 10, 12-foot ceilings? 12-foot max. So yeah, these are pyrotechnics that were meant to go 15, 15 feet, feet for 15 seconds. Yeah. So... Well, they went for 15 seconds. Bad math, eh? But, um, so there were three of these gerbs, and two were pointed, were at the edges of the stage pointing inward, like, towards the center, of the stage at like a 45 degree angle and then there was one in the middle shooting straight, straight up. up. Yeah. Now which one or ones do you think were most responsible for the fire? It was ones on the end. It I was believe. the ones on the end. Because that's what caught the... Uh, which is interesting because yes. I would have thought it was one in the center just like shooting straight up but it will probably maybe the, just well, the it's, um, it's, sheer amount. You'll get into that but it's what they it's what the ones on the ends wound up catching. Well yes that's the, that's the thing. So here's the, the a little bit of backstory over the they said they said of setting off the pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. The band claimed that Bicolet got express permission from the owners to do it. Right. And the owners expressly denied that they ever gave permission to do right. it. Other members of the tour group, other members of the band, yeah. like said there's no way he Bicolet would have set off the pyrotechnics if he hadn't asked for permission yeah. it was it was standard and, operating and procedure. what the truth is only those two people know. well yeah that's that's kind of the thing now let's get to what caught fire so that's what caused the fire these pyrotechnics this is the main yes this is obviously what causes the whole thing so this is a music venue and what caught fire was the sound insulation mm-hmm. but here's the thing about the sound insulation it was not actual soundproofing right it was decorative foam right um, of an egg crate, you know, one of those egg crates. I mean, it could. Things. I mean, if if, no. if we we were to build a sound well, I mean, studio, does it like, technically work acoustically? Yes. yes. Is it meant to be used that way? Is no. it is it professional sound? No. Well, and close. and here's why it's not really supposed to be used like that. It was made of untreated polyurethane, which is foam. highly flammable. Highly fa- flammable and a complete fire code violation. Just not allowed. Period. Here's the the kicker, though. They passed a fire inspection two months earlier hmm. with that insulation well in place. Well, maybe they didn't notice. And who knows? I or, would or, think that that'd be something you'd be looking for. maybe they took it down. No, no, no. This stuff was glued. 
absolutely glued for a couple of years. Oh, okay. Adhesive glue, which I'm guessing the glue maybe well, wasn't maybe, exactly up to code either. I, I don't know. Maybe the firemen weren't thinking that some idiots and two months later Actually, is yeah. going to let off uh, pyrotechnics mm-hmm. uh, that are supposed to go 15 feet in the air. Now let's go back a little bit on this foam. So there's two stories of what happened for that foam to have been installed. There's what the owners said, mm-hmm. and there's what... The manufacturers. It, well, there's what the the company that, yes. that sold it. They didn't make it, but they sold right. it, yes. said. Yeah. So um, the owners, the Dredarians, said a neighbor of theirs, a club, like a neighbor of the club, came by and basically did like a... You know, a lot of your neighbors are complaining because of the noise. I can help you out on that. And I can set you up with all this foam. They said they assumed the guy knew that it was the right stuff to have, that he knew what he was talking about. Um, and they paid $580.75 for all the insulation. Yeah. They didn't ask about fire resistance. Again, they assumed that the rep would know it was kosher. That's their side of the story. Sure. Now, Aram... Dermanolian. Okay. We'll call him that. Sure. Um, uh, it was the president of American Foam who was selling this product, said that someone from the club directly solicited them, visited American Foam, asking about foam insulation, did not say what they wanted it for, and then bought the cheapest packing foam available. They did sell a fire-resistant version, but cost twice as much. Mm-hmm. What actually happened, those 15 by 15 gerbs, the pyrotechnics, caught this polyurethane foam on fire. Um, Instantly. Well, so so it it caught quickly. Yes, that's true. Um, And it caused... There's a a little picture of it. Yeah, it caused (laughs) an instant thick, dark smoke because of the polyurethane. Mm -hmm. Polyurethane is nothing you want to be inhaling in any circumstance. So what that's, happens? That's heavy toxic shit. Well, what happens <laughs> when um, when polyurethane ignites is it creates carbon monoxide, mm. the stuff you have uh, have to have like a detector in your house for stuff you don't want to breathe in to make sure you don't die in your sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And hydrogen cyanide gas. Uh, just in case they're listening, what kind of carbon? Monoxide detector do we have in our house? A nest. Yes. A fancy nest. Yes. We like it very much and we're getting the thermostat too because yes. I am a sucker for nice little electronic In gadgets. case the nest rep is listening, mm-hmm. we have nest products in our home. Thank you very much. That would be a perfect, perfect sponsor for a podcast about disasters. Yeah. A carbon monoxide yeah, smoke detector yeah. it does everything that we can endorse and we've already bought it a they robot don't have to give it to a us robot more. comes out of the wall and puts out the fire <laughs> no but they do tell you on your smartphone if anything's going on yes they do now once the flames ignited it took basically nobody really realized right away what was going on the band played about 20 seconds after the pyrotechnics ended so the flames yes. are kind of already going along and then they're still playing it it took a little bit for everybody to catch on and like you said um jack russell was that who yes. it was who was singing yes. said something like well that's not good or, yeah yeah and the fire alarm went off mm-hmm. big tell that there's a problem the band, most of the band escaped. There was an exit by the stage, and they right behind the stage, right, right next to the stage. Yeah, and they um, 
They mostly escaped that way, and the stage was completely ablaze in less than a minute. Yes. So, like, they barely got off stage in time. Because if you think about it, 20 seconds after the pyrotechnics were done, less than 60 seconds, the, the whole stage was flames. Yeah. So they barely a- again, got Again, there. gives you an idea of how quickly this spread. Yes, this was very, They very... literally had 40 seconds to get out of there. Yep. So there were four possible exits in the, in the club, um, including the one that the band exited. There are reports that a bouncer actually told people not to go out that way because it was a band only. I saw exit. one of those on one of the personal documentaries that yeah, I watched. Yeah. I, who knows about that? I mean, I would think nobody would be that big of an asshole, oh, but God. I guess you never know. That, that would just be so horrible. I mean, the guy had to have known at that point that there's a fire. Otherwise, the band wouldn't be escaping. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, this is band fire exit only. It says yeah. it on the sign. The Worst rest... bouncer ever if that's actually <laughs> yes. what happened. I hope that didn't happen, but I know. But who knows? So, so there were four possible exits, but as is reflex mm-hmm. for most people, most people headed out the way they, came, they came in, which was through a narrow hallway and then out to the front door. So there was a stampede and then a crush in the hallway leading to the front door, blocking that. Method of egress. Oh. Yes. I, I came up with that, that myself. That sounds very fancy. Do you know what egress is? Uh, I've heard the word. Leaving or getting oh, out. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. As we said, a hundred people died. Now here's what they died of. Mm-hmm. So obviously some people actually got trampled, stampeded, crushed um, when trying to get to the exits mm-hmm. in the panic. Some people were actually burned. Some people suffered thermal trauma, which is um, injuries caused not by direct burns, but uh, from, okay. the, from the heat. Uh, yes, yeah. essentially, yes. Um, and then obviously some people, a lot of people died from smoke inhalation. Um, so this uh, hydrogen cyanide and carbon dioxide, that this type of fume... It takes two to three inhalations to cause a loss of consciousness. So pretty much you're out. Um, So time was clearly of the essence, hence the issue of no sprinklers, no fire extinguishers, nothing to even slightly combat this. There was not a large number of people were not going to make it out. That's basically what was kind of. So if you were close to an exit. And realize, and, and in the again, I, I keep going back to the video because it is something people should mm-hmm. watch if you're going to listen to this because it gives you a perspective of, you know, what happened in there because it's caught from a first person perspective, right? Um, and it also gives you the perspective of what the fuck would I do? It, yeah. A lot of it just depended on where you were. Yep. If I you mean, were near the back, you could have been one of the yeah, first people out were, and been fine. Yeah. You, and in fact, you could have just been like. A little like, oh boy, let me get I, out of it here. It looks to me that those are the people that noticed it first and started to slowly leave. Like back away slowly. And yes, because yeah. people started yeah. to back away and then you hear the mm-hmm. fire alarm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, when all shit, all hell well, broke loose. So five and a half minutes is all it took for complete engulfment. Demolition. Well, not, it wasn't down. It was just engulfed. Just, just yeah. Absolutely consumed by flames in five and a half minutes. Um, the fire department was notified 
about the fire 40 seconds into the fire. Not long yeah, at all. Probably and when the were, alarm went off. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they were there they within were there five minutes. Within yeah. five minutes, but by then, almost yeah. the whole building, mm-hmm. there was very little they could do in terms of the building and I'm or sure, the people inside. I'm sure they were pretty damn surprised themselves, too, I would think. How quick, like, yeah. They're like, uh, we just got here. This was like in the whole damn building's oh, on fire. And we totally inspected this place two months Our ago. Two How months ago. did it go up this quick? Anyway. Yeah. So, so a hundred, hundred victims, um, hundred people died. Most were in their thirties. Well, so, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's in the age range, right? This is 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, 26 years after Great White formed. Well, and, uh, 14 years after their biggest hit. Okay. Uh, once bitten, twice shy. So these were mostly like 19- teenagers. Or, these are guys or that would have been seniors in high school yeah. when that song came Not out. Not just guys, people. Or women, yes, because <laughs> a lot of women were into pop metal too. Yes. Um, um, some were in their twenties, some were in their forties. The youngest victim was eighteen. Eek. Yeah, and one of the band members, Ty Longley, the lead guitarist, also died. Lead singer, lead guitarist of Great White. Um, it is believed. That he initially escaped, mm-hmm. but decided to go back in for his guitar. We'll touch back on that in our lessons learned at the yes. end. Um, and he had a girlfriend who was three months pregnant Ooh. when he died. So, yeah, not very nice at all. Um, here's why I put my little nerd glasses on. They studied 104 survivors mm-hmm. of, this, um, of this fire. Um of these 104 survivors, it was about a 50-50 mix of people who had been injured in the fire and people who had escaped uninjured. Like I said, 132 people actually made it out without any physical injury. Mm-hmm. So of these 104 survivors, about 80% were found to have mild to severe PTSD. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, most yeah. of the people who even live, who were who lived, most of them suffered from yeah. post-traumatic stress Because they're disorder. all standing outside... Mm-hmm. As the club is literally knowing that people are dying, or pe- yep, yeah, or people they knew yes. dying, or um, just the because again on on the on the video on the YouTube video you can hear one woman saying, "Where's my husband?" Yeah, which yeah. probably a lot of couples. I hope he was out the back door, yeah. but it sounds by the sound of her voice, he was probably still in there. Aside after everything happened, hundred people dead. Clearly, there was some blame to be later some justice to be found so there were criminal charges brought against three people two being the brothers who own the club Mm -hmm. um, jeffrey and michael jadarian and daniel bicolet uh who was the tour manager who actually set off the pyrotechnics so they were all charged with 200 counts of involuntary manslaughter so 100 people died right but they charged them with 200 counts because they charged them in two different ways 100 counts were under criminal negligence manslaughter, mm. which means you didn't didn't do anything illegal, but you deliberately but, yeah. ignored information that was that saying that this. it could yeah, yeah that it could be a problem yeah. that uh, it's a legal act um, that caused something by ignoring the risk to others is basically what that was, and then a hundred counts of involuntary manslaughter under misdemeanor manslaughter which is the um perpetration of a petty crime oh okay that led to death and they all pled not guilty initially so yes not guilty 
and we'll get to that in a second. Um, the Dardarians were also fined $1.07 million for failing to carry proper workers' comp. Four okay. of their employees died, and they didn't have proper oh, okay. workers' comp, so they were fined for that. Yeah. Now, the Bicolet trial. So this is the tour manager, the 26-year-old tour manager. Um, he was actually your, he's your age. He is my age. I was yeah. 26 at the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he pleaded guilty. Although he's a hell of a lot older than I am now. Yeah. So he initially pled guilty, not guilty, then he pled guilty, um, to 100 counts of involuntary manslaughter in 2006. And he said, in order to, quote, bring peace, I want this to be over with. Um, so here's, I want to, I, I kind of want to read this in its entirety because it is really, I think it's really telling of a specific aspect of this story. Sure. And it's just really, the phrase that came to my mind, super old fashioned, is there but for the grace of God go I. Okay. You know, the idea that we're all one very stupid mistake away from ruining our lives. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. This is a 26 year old guy. I'm not saying that that releases him of any liability, but... But you're still pretty young when you're 26. Yeah, but he recognized that what he did killed people. Yes. Like, now... Not on purpose. No, not at all on purpose. He was not charged with murder in any way. This was involuntary murder. It was just a mistake. Yeah, it just meant that he did not mean to, but his actions caused the deaths of people. So here was his statement during sentencing. He said, quote, For three years, I've wanted to be able to speak to the people that were affected by this tragedy, but I know there's nothing that there's nothing I can say or do that will undo what happened that night. Since the fire, I have wanted to tell the victims and their families how truly sorry I am for what happened that night and the part I had in it. I never wanted anyone to be hurt in any way. I never imagined that anyone ever could be, ever would be, sorry. I know how this tragedy has devastated me, but I can only begin to understand what the people who lost loved ones have endured. I don't know that I'll ever forgive myself for what happened that night, so I can't expect anybody else to. I can only pray that they understand that I would do anything to undo what happened that night and give them back their loved ones. I'm so sorry for what I have done, and I don't want to cause anyone any more pain. I will never forget that night, and I will never forget the people that were hurt by it. I am so sorry. That's that, that's, so, that, is, that is obviously not a statement prepared by a lawyer. No, and that is <laughs> just so sad. So uh, apparently, like, he was either in tears or near tears while he was And he probably couldn't this. say anything to the victims because he's under, that'd be tampering. Well, I, I don't know what the legal situation but would be, be, but... Yeah. But that he was given the opportunity to make a statement. Yeah, because he was because this did. was his sentencing, correct? Exactly. Yes. So. so he was sentenced to fifteen years in prison, eleven suspended. Okay. So four years to serve, um, and then three years probation. Okay. The judge during his sentencing said, "The greatest sentence that can be imposed on you has been imposed on you by yourself." So he was he, like he clearly took his his statement to mean like. You're going to torture yourself for the rest of your life mm-hmm. for this. We can't. We can barely touch you. Yeah. Like you're already putting yourself through. It's like that episode of uh, Black Mirror. White, Which one? White Rabbit. Mm. But that is the punishment they give her. But kind of, he's already doing that to himself. Anyway. She, she had. Yeah, she was not remorseful. That was on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so in 2007, Bigley was up for parole. And the state parole board got about 20 letters from the victims' families 
expressing sympathies to Bigelay and supporting his release. Oh, okay. So a large number of victims' families were actually in support of his release. Um, remember I said there was an 18-year-old who died yes. in the fire? So that was Nicholas O'Neill. And his family said in a letter to reporters, In the period following this tragedy, it was Mr. Bigelay alone who stood up and admitted responsibility for his part in this horrible event. He apologized to the families of the victims and made no attempts to mitigate his guilt. Mm-hmm. And he was released in 08. Okay, so, um, and his sentencing was in 06, 06 so yeah. he only served so two years. So he's supposed to serve four, he yeah. served about two. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he's still in Orlando, where he's from, and is married with kids now. Okay. So relatively getting along with his life, yeah, I'm as gonna, much as possible. Yeah, I'm going to guess he's not a tour manager anymore. Or is he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess he could be. I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. read any information about yeah. what he does, but um, I'd like to get back to that a little bit. But let's keep going with, like, the sort of the, the rest of the fallout of this so Beakley that's what happened with his trial now the Dardarian brothers <laughs> Jeffrey and Michael were supposed these are the nightclub owners mm-hmm. okay. were supposed to go on trial but they changed their plea from not guilty to no contest which actually avoided a trial okay so no no contest to my understanding is you're not saying you did it you're not saying right. you didn't do yes. it yes you're like pleading no comment basically. right yeah um and that was in 2006 Michael got sentenced to 15 years in prison, four to serve, 11 suspended, three years probation. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. That's what Bikolay got. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeffrey got a 10-year suspended sentence, three years probation, and 500 hours of community service. Do you know oh, why? Oh, so he didn't get any time at all. Do you know uh, why one not. was charged more than the other? I do not. Based on their level of involvement with the purchase and installation of the foam insulation. Oh. Michael was the one who initiated the okay. purchase of the insulation. He was the one who wrote the check. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say allegedly, but if there's no, a check no, there out there. No, there was a check for yeah. the $580.75. So the, whole, yeah. the whole what went on between him and the company, that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. But what he actually did buy something from them. He did, yes. That, yes. that wound up... Uh, that was Killing the, people with carbon monoxide and... Hydrogen cyanide. Hydrogen cyanide poisoning. Mm-hmm. And those just both sound awful. Yes, they are. Um, so, now, the Rhode Island Attorney General actually disagreed with that sentencing, thinking they both should have served jail time, and even more than Bicolet. Mm. So, basically, the Attorney General of Rhode Island was saying, it's not so much the pyrotechnics as the fact that you had... Uh, faulty, highly a faulty flammable, club. Highly flammable, not up to code insulation in your club. Yeah. Um, the, the other guy just brought in pyrotechnics that are <laughs> supposed to shoot 15 feet in the air. Well, you got a 12 foot ceiling. Well, um, so, but Michael was released from prison in 09. So nobody's in prison anymore. So it he only served three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so only. now. I, I, can, I can imagine serving a week, right? Less three years. So now the settlements. Mm-hmm. In this case, because there's a lot of money involved in this, right? Um, how much do you think total settlements were roughly to the to date? There could be still pending legal action. Um. Well, there are companies involved. Yes. Um. So I would guess tens of millions, mm-hmm. like combined from every. I'm sure. The, I'm sure the tour manager probably got sued. I'm sure the band probably got sued. I'm sure the club for sure got sued. Um, probably the makers of that foam got sued. Yeah, you're on the right Prob- track. Probably other... Uh, so the answer is 
over 115 million dollars. Okay, so that's hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars. So, but here's the interesting thing. The individuals were not the ones who most of that money came from. Um, so here's some highlights of se- settlements. Great White settled um, 100 million. Or sorry. Well, Let me try I'm going to try it again. Hold okay. on. I'm going to guess you added some zeros. Hold on. <laughs> Great White paid out a million. Okay. Which is the maximum allowed under the band's insurance policy. And that was okay. to survivors and victims' relatives. The Dudarian brothers ended up paying out 813000 Okay. And that was from their insurance plan as well. But they had protection to avoid being sued for any more because they filed for bankruptcy. Okay. They couldn't be sued for any more. Okay. Um, the state of Rhode Island and the town of West Warwick... Paid out ten million. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. They, makes, I mean, yeah. there it's was a the fire towns. inspection. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Sealed Air Corp. Who made the foam? Twenty-five million. Oh, okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Who knew that Sealed Air Corp oh. had, that, had that much cash? Oh, it gets. It's basically whoever had the money was who got well, the sure. most yes. out of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, WPRI TV, Providence, Rhode Island television station. Do you know who took that video footage? Well, I do, and I was wondering where you, when you were going to get to that guy. It was the cameraman from WPRI yes. TV. Now, do you know why they paid out $30 million when it, their camera person was one of the you know the people who were trying to get out of the building? Why they got did they get they, why they, they got sued they or they paid, settled? They I don't know if they settled or got well, either or, way they got they had legal way they, action taken Either way they them. coughed up 30 30 million? Yeah. Why would they do that when their cameraman was caught in there? I'm going to guess because he was the only one taking video. And so maybe the negligence on his part that he didn't get people out or... You're close. Something like that? That's the only thing I can think of. There were claims that he obstructed exits. That he didn't... Like, because if you see that footage... He did you see that one person like pushing by him? Well, yeah, because that's that's when the fire alarm had already gone yes. off. Yes. Yeah. So so there was that claim, and also that he didn't sufficiently help people exit. So in other words, he could have put down his camera. And- which is which? The first time I watched the video, that's mm-hmm. kind of one of the first things that got to me is like, when is this guy going to put down his camera and try to help? Go help he does out. do that eventually, but he really does it by the time that there's there's no help in anybody. Mm-hmm. That's that's really when he does it. Yeah. But he does. With the video camera in his hand, he at least goes checks around out back. He goes and checks around the side. Was he checking out or was he trying to? Fall? He was no. He was calling for people. Okay. He was. He was saying, "Is anybody back here?" Okay. Um, and well, that's and that's rate. and that's when it comes and that's the creepy part when it comes back to the front where you see all the, the people, people that are I trapped know. in the yeah, doorway. That's bad. That's so bad. yeah, that's when I stopped watching it the first time. Okay, so thirty million from WPRI TV mm-hmm. for that cameraman. Yes. Um, cameraman, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, eight hundred fifteen thousand dollars paid out by JBL. Do you know who JBL is? Uh, yeah, they um, uh, obviously they're a music company. Mm-hmm. Microphones, speakers, or speaker. Yes, duh. Yeah. So JBL, yeah. for claims of flammable foam inside their speakers, and or oh, I don't know, okay, which, that, okay. Yeah. So. Um, it sounds like they gave that up, but just be like, here you go. Right. Before Probably. you come, before you come asking possibly, for more. Possibly. The other big companies <laughs> had to pay out a whole lot more. So yeah. Yeah. Probably but they got sued. Yeah. Actively sued. Yeah. I think that was to here you go. 
But also interesting, they paid out more than the owners of the nightclub. Well, yeah, eight fifteen because, versus eight thirteen. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a company for one. And all right, and then here, one of your former employers had to pay out money. Who was it? Pop Quiz Hot Shop. Uh, Clear Channel. Yes. Okay. Do you I was know gonna, why? I'm gonna guess they were putting it on some way. Maybe a. Uh, no, but you're you're close. So one of their so WHJYFM owned by Clear Channel mm-hmm. local radio station had a DJ there. Mike, the Dr. Gonsalves. Okay. He died. Oh. And they paid $22 million. That, you know what, that... Uh, I might feel the worst for that guy, because... He was just doing a, like, a, he a was, remote. He was doing whatever. a remote. Yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I, um, by the way, in my, my illustrious <laughs> business career, by the age that I currently am... And some people will pick up on what that is from previous conversations, That's but true. whatever. Um, I did, did work that. for I did work for Clear Channel for a year. I sold uh, radio advertising. Um, that's either a job where you're awesome at it and you have like a nice house and all of these nice benefits and stuff like that, or it's a job where you want to shoot yourself in the head when you walk up in the morning. That's that's the experience. Guess which one I was. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. I've been on remotes, and it's something that if you set it up, like, you have to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exactly as, if you're a person that likes to go to clubs and likes that kind of music and likes being around those kind of people, then join an advertising company and uh, go sell remotes for rock stations or pop stations, whatever. I worked for a rock station. Um, well, that's but, better than a pop station. But I'm selling the stuff to a club. The, yeah, they're, they're, they're gonna same play, difference. They're yeah. going to play pop music in the club. Yeah. You know? But um, but yeah, it's a remote is just something, if you sell it, you just have to be there. And I'll just tell you up front right now, like restaurant and nightclub owners are like just above pond scum when it comes to like... The, the, dealing the, and dealing. Just the, just the type of person that you are to, to be in that business. Like you'll meet some cool guys like here and there like, wow, this guy's normal and like yeah. actually kind of cool. Most of them are egotistical jerk-offs that you would never want to be around. And then you sell a remote, and guess what? You have to be around that guy for like two hours. <laughs> and it's just like, I want yeah. to take a shower. At the great white remote. And this guy had to be at the... But he's... He Gonsalves? Gonsalves. So he was probably working for the classic rock... Had to have been well, a classic he, rock station. He was DJ Mike the Dr. Gonsalves. Yeah, that's a classic rock station name. If he was on mm-hmm. a if he was on a top forty station, mm-hmm. he would be uh, Mike the Jam Gonzalez. The Jam or uh, the Deuce. or uh, Magic Mike Gonzalez. <laughs> he was Mike. he was what the Doctor the, the Doctor the Doctor. That's a classic rock. It is kind DJ. of a, yeah. like Doc yeah. Doc Reno. Yeah. Shout out to Big One Hundred Five Nine. So, yeah. Just from that guy's name and his handle, he definitely worked for like the low. Probably you said this place is what twenty minutes outside of Providence, twenty miles. If thirteen miles, like twenty five yeah. minute drive. And Warwick is a fairly West Warwick, Rhode Island. Yeah, is a. Fairly, from what I understand, and I don't know a whole lot about Rhode Island, I but I, I think it's a fairly high middle class. Verb. High middle class. I, I don't know. I did not look into that. Yeah. Uh, don't sell advertising and don't go to remotes because this poor son of a bitch died in a fire during a remote. Ouch. Yeah. All right. So as a result of all of this, um, the National Fire Protection Association amended their life safety code. Yeah. Sure. A few months guess after. They did. 
to include, for one thing, sprinklers at all nightclubs and similar type venues with 100 plus occupants, period. Right. Um, additional crowd management personnel. I imagine that would be like bouncers, people who could direct people yeah. out of the case. And not, and not turn them away at the door. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, this is just for the band. Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Um, and greater exit requirements. You know, for X number of people, you have to have X number of exits, etc. Sure. All right, now here's a couple of... So that's that's the basics. So right? that's, that our, was uh, 115, roughly $115 million in lawsuits. $115 lawsuits million or in, uh, in settlements. In settlements. So here's a couple of rando facts. Last year, uh, the site, the site, because it's raised completely, right? Not as oh, not I'm a building sure, yeah, yeah. There's literally, it's just yeah, ground now. Yeah. Um, it was reportedly used as a Pokemon Go stop. I can see that, yes. Yeah, and the victim's families didn't like that. I'm, yeah, probably not. Yeah. And Great White said they would probably never play Desert Moon again. They started playing it again in 2009. Oh. Yeah. Just took them a few years. <laughs> we won't play it again for six years. Yeah. Proper moratorium. <laughs> we won't play it really ever again. terrible song. <laughs> we'll just play it six years from now. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really bad song. Can I reiterate? It's a bad song. Again, I feel really sorry for the hundred people who died for so many reasons. And this is the least of those reasons, but... Well, this is... Um... <sighs> Last song. I worked. Uh, I worked in an Irish pub for a while. A, a famous, well, famous, a uh, renowned local. Locally, yeah, no. renowned locally. People well. knew what it was. We would have live music three nights a week. Some bands would come in. There'd be fifty people there. Some bands would come in, and there'd be way more than capacity. Like way more than there should be allowed in that mm-hmm. place. And I and probably in the back of my mind this. But I would all I knew where all the exits were. I worked there, but there were only two. That's it. Literally only two. Two. Well, because it's sandwiched on either mm-hmm. side, yeah. and so it's just the front and the front back. Front and the back. And most yeah. people go out the front. Well, most people wouldn't realize unless you went to the bathroom because that's going down that okay. hallway. A lot of people wouldn't even realize that back door is even there. Yeah. But I remember thinking, like when we would have those bigger crowds, yeah. like St. Patrick's Day was always just a fucking station fire waiting to happen probably yeah. i always remember thinking like okay like i know where the back exit is probably not a lot of people do yeah. like if something happens i will guide as many people out the back as i can yeah and get out at the last second mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's because it's just and it's just to kind of take a mental for for 10 seconds just be like okay if this happens this is what i'm gonna do you stole my takeaway lesson Sorry. i'm Sorry. sorry. so but that, that brings me to the takeaway lessons. Lessons learned from this tragedy. I I would just personally say avoid avoid music venues and nightclubs. And that's being Especially ones with 12 foot high ceilings that uh, 400 people are in. And that's not even it. What it. So I've always been wary of small venues with a lot of people. They're very uncomfortable to me. Not yeah, the yeah, I, I got to experience that with you. You did. So we were in this awful, awful Bills Bar, Buffalo Bills Bar in Nashville. Nashville, it Tennessee. It's four stories high, complete old construction, like a tinderbox. There was technically an elevator, but then otherwise you had these tiny little narrow staircases leading to the bottom to get out, or you jump out the window. And no, it was the staircases packed. were not narrow. 
they were very narrow. They were narrow because of the amount of people that no. were in there. Yes, but, exactly. But, you know, with with how many people stampeding down, right. do you think that would get narrow pretty damn fast? Oh, I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't. Yes. But I'm saying That's the stairways themselves were not narrow. They were not they became, wide. They became narrow. No, they were they were no more than like three, four feet wide. No, because I, I... No. Well, that's not how I remember. Okay. At any that's rate, fine. they were narrow. And it was all wood, and it would burn to the ground in a second. We were on the fourth floor, and, like, I had to get out of there. Now, I am the granddaughter of a former fire chief, so I was taught to have a healthy respect for terrible, terrible things that could happen. Hence, all bad things. All bad things. So, in the event of an emergency, do not panic. Right? You panic. That is, that is usually the first thing they teach you. Yes, you panic, and who knows what's going to happen? Well, your your senses break down. Right, you don't know what's going on, yeah. and and that's it's not necessarily something you can control as right. such. If you try to keep your wits about you, um, which comes from preparation, right, from considering the fact that something could happen. So if you're in a place. Uh, somewhere that you're not used to and haven't already become accustomed to, especially a public place, a small place, a, something like this, a club, a venue of some sort, familiarize yourself with the area and think of what would you would do in the case of something even, very bad happening. Even if it's a 10-second mental pro- projection. Yes. And then, it at least gets your brain going the, in that direction. And the number one thing to know is how could you get out of there? And how quickly could you get out of there? So know your exits. 100% know your exits all the time. And just like they say on the airplane, every time your nearest exit may be behind you or your nearest exit may not be the most obvious exit. It may not be the same way you came. So um, my grandpa loves to tell a story about a time he and my grandmother were in a movie theater and the fire alarm went off and everybody like got up and ran out back through like the into the lobby of the movie theater because that's the way they had come in. My grandfather just sat there and told my grandmother to like hang on for a second. People were just like thundering out the back to the lobby and then they just stood up and walked out the actual marked exit door that they tell you about every single time. Those signs the that say exit. Yeah, about go go towards 15 them. feet flanking each side of the, tel- mm-hmm. uh, the of the theater screen. Mm-hmm. That's where you're supposed to go out. Yes, and are the bane of Chuck McGill's existence. Ha! Huh? Little callback of uh, Better Call Saul. About exit doors. The exit signs. Exit signs. Yeah. In this past episode of Better Call Saul. They were saying, he was saying they drew so little electric current, there was nothing they could do about them, the exit side. Oh, okay. I was probably not completely paying attention. Yeah, no, I don't think you were. No. And that's that's usually what I get to say to you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, know how you could get out and be, be aware of it. Keep your wits about you and figure out the best way to get out. Um, this is definitely advice for a club. Like when you mentioned the plane earlier, like you're kind of just fucked no matter which no, way. But that's but not at the same, true. but at the same time, but at the same time, uh-uh. yes, keep your wits about you and try to. That's definitely not true. If a plane catches on fire on the tarmac, it's not BS that you need to go behind. I'm talking you about if you're... when it's in the sky. That's not what those exits are always for. If you can't right. jump out of the air. I, I... So, yeah. I was specifically talking about when the plane is already well, in the Well, that's sky. not when they're talking about exiting. <laughs> Clearly. And then the final thing, and this is something that this story actually really drove home to me. Because I'll admit, I had it in my head a little bit. 
that if something happened, like say at work, there was a fire, like I've always thought I would take a second to like grab my purse and my phone and then run out. Mm -hmm. But you know what they, how they always say, literally don't grab anything, just get out of there. And I always thought, well, what's the, I mean, like a fire, like two seconds in a fire isn't going to make a difference. But or, in this, or, or will it? But in this fire, yeah. two to three inhalations yeah. of this smoke could cause death. So I didn't even think of it's not so much the fire always as the smoke. As so, here's the thing: never, never worry about things when it comes to a fire. Get out. Yeah. If you feel the need to help people, do that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Cause, do that because they're not things. Yes, but <laughs> otherwise you get you get out, and then the the sort of extension of that is never, ever, ever go back for anything or any reason, uh, unless so, so, unless somebody's is clearly sticking their hand out of a door. Yes, and, and that's you've the, got five feet of space. Obviously, get that person right, but don't go back inside. No, ever. No, especially not. For, for example, the, re- tight. the reason being because most of the smoke is built up by that and you'll suffocate. Well, or, or any nut, you don't know yeah. what you're walking back into. Right. So it's a dynamic situation, right? So Ty Longley, guitarist, great white. Goes re- back for his guitar. Reportedly, yep. He went back for his guitar now as a musician. I understand that. Well, I Hell, I understand it as for a, like as my... As a not musician, I still get it. I understand it for like my iPhone. Yeah. Like, there is this, like, base instinct of, hey, I paid X number of dollars for this, or this is something of sentimental value to me, or whatever, and your instinct is to, like, I could get it, I, could, I, can, I can make it, or whatever, but you don't no, know. Don't trust that instinct. You do not know. So, under no circumstances should you ever go back to get a thing. So, lessons learned, don't panic. Always know your exits, and once you've escaped, do not go back. Even if you think you can make it, even if you think it's worth it to get something, it's not. It's not going to be, and you don't know what you're walking back into. And if you're going to sell radio advertising, do not sell remotes. That's the other lesson you want to do. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, think that guy would like to have that sale back? <laughs> yeah, I bet he would. well that's all i have that's my five pages of notes i did thorough research people i did uh slightly thorough uh research by the way but it wasn't yours to research i I, i'm sorry i forgot about the dynamic yeah um the, the main reason we're doing this podcast is because not because we're trying to sensationalize this or... Mm-mm. I mean, this is a story that I think that most people know about. Like, it, if you're around our pretty, age... It's a pretty um, famous yeah. modern if you're, tragedy. If you're 18, you might not know about it. In but America, if, But yeah. if you're in your 30s beyond, you pretty much heard about this when I it specifically happened. remember when it happened. Yeah, I was, on my, I was on my way to work. Uh, Howard Stern had said it happened. Mm. I guess fascination is... But I, I think it's the right word. In a way, it's a, a curiosity. With okay. me, it's definitely a curiosity. Morbid curiosity. Yes. Is what, but but I think because these are all situations that everybody's been in at least once. Well, there's a few things. So oh, and uh, I never got. Here's one more thing I want to get back to. These are cautionary tales, right? I mean, there yeah. are things to be learned from saying. these. I've been at a 
rock club that had 12 foot, 12 foot high ceilings over capacity. Yeah. I've, I've been in that situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And, and, if the, and if that had happened, mm-hmm. who the fuck knows? Exactly. I'm, sh- I'm, this was supposed to be a semi comedic podcast and I feel like I've really <laughs> fallen down on that job. Well, you're two beers in. I am, I'm a beer and a half <laughs> A beer in, and a half in. But these, oh, we said we were going to mention the beers we're drinking. Oh, uh, yes. These are uh, 5%, I'm not even. Okay. Well, uh, our first show is brought to you by Catawba Brewing Company out of where? Asheville, North Carolina. Very good. So they're not actually sponsored. Like, no. we're not saying they're endorsing us in any way. We're not saying. <laughs> they're welcome to, but we just like North Carolina beer. We and do. this is their white zombie white, white ale. ale that we're drinking. It's delicious. And we yes. went to Catawba last year. And we went to both of them. Yes, both locations. <laughs> we went to the wrong one. First. We were trying to meet friends. Yeah, we went to the wrong one first, but... Um, I highly recommend their PB&J beer whenever they have it next because it's delicious. This is, if you like white ales too, this is very good. Mm -hmm. It's a good summer, spring beer. Yes. Okay, I have to pee. Okay. I have to go smoke. Okay.